0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Balanced Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Corey Jinks earned his Doctor of Pharmacy degree from the University of South Carolina in 2011. Since then, he has practiced in several different clinical settings as a pharmacist. His current practice is as an ambulatory care clinical pharmacy specialist, where he applies his passion for lifestyle interventions in the management of chronic disease. He is the author of the book, Permission to Care, Building a Healthcare Culture That Thrives in Chaos. In addition to his career as a pharmacist and author, Corey is also an accomplished improv comedian, having started on his comedy journey in 2013. Since then, Corey has coached, taught and performed improv for thousands of people. Today, Corey travels around the country teaching other healthcare professionals about how to apply the valuable skills of improv comedy to create a more adaptable, empathetic, and humanizing healthcare experience. Corey lives in Tucson, Arizona with his wife, Cassie, their two children, and 10 chickens. When he's not caring for patients or making people laugh, Corey enjoys harvesting rainwater, playing sports, and improving his dad jokes with the help of his sons. Corey Jenks, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio
1: well thank you so much for having me it's awesome to see you again
0: yeah it's awesome to see you too so two kids and one more on the way congratulations
1: that's right uh as you as as we recorded this in march of 2023 i I got basically two and a half months of of man-to-man defense then we're switching to zone in june nice so nice good for you
0: how's Uh, it going with just the two that's got to be a lot of work
1: well they're two and four so like it's a very busy age for kids i've been told like whenever like we were in low carb denver and then we were at another low carb conference earlier uh or last year and we went without the kids and they're like oh you know do you, you know we mentioned we have two kids and then we say you know they're 2 and 4 and we get the look from people that like when you take your car to the mechanic it's like ooh like nice. that's going to be that's going to be a big bill like that's rough rough times so my wife and i are always like feeling really tired and apparently that's normal with this age there so we're go. just like yeah we'll throw another one in there into the mix and we'll have fun with it.
0: That's awesome. So, well, like, you're incredibly fit. You look great. So chasing them around must be good for you physically.
1: That's, that's a huge thing for me, actually, as a dad, I, uh, you know, the idea of dad, bot, not to get too like into the weeds already, but like the acceptance of a dad, bot. I don't know. I, I feel obligated to be as healthy as I can for my kids and to set a good example for them too. And you know, I don't, I don't, we don't like beat them over the head with like nutrition and exercise stuff, but like they see mom and dad being active. They're active. You know, I have a four-year-old that can do five up pull-ups. Like he's, it's really fun to watch and he does it for fun. I don't, I don't, I don't make make him do it like military style. So yeah, that's, that's a big thing. And then my wife, you know, being in as good a shape as she can, as she, progresses through pregnancy as well has been really, really important for her too.
0: Yeah, that's in fact, it's fantastic. And it's such a good way to set that example for this generation who's coming up into a crazy <laughs> metabolic situation outside. And we can talk about that in a second. You mentioned your wife, yeah. we do have to bring up it is her birthday today. So happy birthday wifey. <gasps> and I only know that <laughs> because on social media, you posted her name tag from Blockbuster video.
1: Yes. Yes because she is super old. Uh, I'm, I'm a terrible husband, but yes. So yeah, my wife is, is of, uh, an age today. So it's her birthday. So she's watched for her birthday. She's watching the kids. So I can record this with you. That's amazing. uh, Yeah. She, she, I way out kicked my cupboard. She's, she's awesome. That's great. Wow. Uh, yeah,
0: it it was real subtle the way you said it. Like, yeah, I'm not going to say your age, but she's old enough to say, be kind. Rewind. Um, she's got to have amazing stories. Does she have some great stories from the video rental
1: days? I you know I need to tap into her brain a little bit more with that I, you know she talks very fondly about her time working for Blockbuster uh, but yeah I think that there are certainly some some interesting stories of 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 customer and people she worked with and the work that she worked for as well were when because she was like in high school I think when she worked there so it was, she was. She was, she's not that old, but you know, she's, she's, she was young enough to be like, oh, there's some weird stuff going on here at the old Blockbuster.
0: That's great. Well, get some weird stories for us. I would love to love to hear all about that. I'm sure there's some good ones. (laughs) Yeah. Also understand, you know, you're, you're you're an interesting person because you're into so many different things. The pharmacy, the comedy, you know, you wrote a book during the pandemic. It it, it makes your life really nuanced and fascinating. I really appreciate that. I understand that you understand that you love nineties humor and, and I do too. Like, like you have Mm -hmm. to like Jerry Seinfeld, right? He's one, one of your favorite classic gotta be up I mean,
1: there. I pretty i pretty much speak in seinfeld quotes uh seinfeld and simpsons quotes are kind of what i grew up on so you know in the in the heyday when you couldn't just stream stuff it like stuff would come on at a certain day and time and everyone would like it would be a national event you know all my friends would have watched the simpsons on the night before or seinfeld and you go and you, you talk about it the next day And and my one of my best friends he was actually at the Low Carb Conference Denver, uh, Low Carb Denver Conference with me. He's a pharmacist. And yeah, he and I just basically speak in Seinfeld memes every day. We, it's like, oh, this is just like that episode or that this episode. So That's amazing. Um,
0: the, the writing for those shows was fantastic. Like going back during the pandemic to watch episodes, I don't know, two through like 10 of Simpsons was hilarious. It still holds up. And I understand why <laughs> my mom hated me watching it, but my dad would let me watch it. Like it was a little bit on the edge for that time, it, it, but it still holds up. Classic.
1: Oh, we just, it's so funny you say that just the other night we, uh, we turned on an old episode of the Simpsons on like Disney plus or something. And it's from, you know, 93 and like the jokes are so good. And the deal with my parents was, I don't know how I turned out how I did. I had a TV in my room from the age of five onward and they were just like, do the opposite of Bart. And I was like, all right. And I just behaved and did good <laughs> nice. at school and stuff. And it was the the beautiful times when there was just like syndicated episodes on all the time. So yeah. Uh, that's kind of my gauge of, you know, my gauge of, of people's humor is if I can throw a Simpsons reference in there and they're like, Oh yeah, that's good. I'm like, all right, we can keep we can go down this path a little bit more.
0: Fantastic, so. no, I love that. And speaking of Seinfeld, um, I believe this was on from I'm telling you for the last time, he does a bit about drugstores stores and pharmacies, which is really great, and he was questioning in his bit, like why is the pharmacist two and a half feet taller than everybody else, what is he doing back there? All we think he's doing is taking a big bottle of pills and putting it into a small bottle of pills, and us peasants have to wait way down there on the normal <laughs> level ground. It, but it's interesting, like I spent this week asking people, like what do you think pharmacists do? And Mm-hmm. A lot of times that's what people are answering. Like, aren't they just counting up pills and putting them into things and making sure that like two combinations of drugs are not going to like kill somebody? Like, can you mm-hmm. explain what your day-to-day job is actually like?
1: Yeah. So I think that the most public facing pharmacists we have are the ones that work in retail that sit the, sit on their, on their you know, two and a half feet up or whatever it is. And so that that's the majority of what people's perception of pharmacists are. And I actually don't do that. I I did that as a as a pharmacy intern, and I did a little moonlighting when I graduated pharmacy school. So I've done I've done that, and and for to give my friends at retail a little bit of their due, it's a very hard and stressful job. Now I won't. uh, We can get into the merits of why so many people are on so many medicines, but the reality is, you know, our reality is lots of people take lots of medicines. They want them quickly. They want them cheaply. They want them safely. And so yes, there is there is a level of, of taking pills from one bottle and putting them to another. Uh, usually that's a pharmacy technician that does that. Pharmacists are checking to make sure, like you say, is drug interactions, uh, appropriate dosing for different conditions. Uh, in the retail setting, they're doing immunizations as well. There's people at the drive-thru. There's people on the phone at insurances. Like, my goodness, the insurance issues that happen. So that's, that's a retail pharmacist. I don't do that. There are hospital pharmacists. They're mixing IVs. They're doing a lot more management of like critical, critically ill patients. Um, and then, A lot of pharmacists do actually do what's called a pharmacy practice residency and practice as what's called a clinical pharmacist, which is what I do, where we do less of the hands on drugs. Like we don't touch the drugs. We're reviewing charts. We're interviewing patients, whether it's in a hospital, in a critical care setting or an acute care setting where they're assessing and making sure medication reconciliation happens at discharge. Or in in my case, I work in what's called an ambulatory care or primary care clinic. So I essentially work in a doctor's office. Uh, And I like to tell people to make it really simple. I function like a physician's assistant. So say you have a diagnosis of diabetes and you haven't discovered the magic of metabolic health and, and appropriate eating and exercise. And a doctor starts you on a medicine for blood pressure or diabetes and they refer you to my clinic. I have what's called a collaborative practice agreement, which means that that doctor has agreed that I can manage their patients for these certain conditions I can adjust the medicines. I, you know, A patient will come to me just like a doctor's appointment. I may, I check your blood sugar, your blood pressure. Traditional role, we do the air quote management of chronic disease. I like to reverse it um, <laughs> personally. Thank you. But this is what a traditional clinical pharmacist does. And so prescriptions go out with my name on it. Um, it's a really cool niche. Uh, pharmacists are terrible at advertising that. We do that. Uh, when I tell people, like the joke with my book is my mom read the book. It was like, oh, I understand what you do now. It took 10 years in a book to understand that, like I don't touch the pills, um, so that's what that's what like a clinical pharmacist does in a nutshell, uh, is you know in an ambulatory care setting for me, disease state management. And there's people like me that do oncology, that adjust oncology medicines. They do heart failure medicines. They do pain management. Like there's a whole world of pharmacists that specialize in this and, and the medication management side of things that we, we just don't advertise well. And then we're insecure. I think that's why we have our things raised up in pharmacies because <laughs> the doctors yell us at all day, the patients yell us at all. So we're like, we gotta be at least taller than that. There you go, so, nice.
0: No, that's yeah. great. I really appreciate that explanation. And that was new for my understanding. I didn't even think it was possible for pharmacists to write the prescriptions. And that never made sense to me in the, in the American system anyway. I've lived abroad and it's totally different, but in the American system, it always seemed like the person that would know the most about all these chemicals and, and drugs and components and compounds are are the people that can't even really write the prescriptions. And, and so is that still by and large mostly the case when you're considering, again, other pharmacies, the your Walgreens and CVSs and all those kinds of yeah. things?
1: I think percentage-wise, like the clinical pharmacist chunk of the pharmacy pie is still probably smaller. The biggest chunk is going to be the retail, followed by the hospital pharmacists. And then there's, there's people like me doing what I do. And then to the credit of pharmacy, pharmacists these days, there's a lot of entrepreneurship going on. There's a lot of pharmacists really pushing the envelope of what we can do with our licenses. There's a push for like a pharmacy practitioner sort of uh, approach. I think in some states where we would be like doing assessments like a like a physician's assistant. Uh, personally, I got into pharmacy. My joke is uh, I don't like fluids and holes, so I don't like I don't like bro stuff. I married a nurse; that she does that. Um, so I'm very comfortable with my role of of the medication management. But we do have that expertise. And I think sometimes we get pharmacists get a little chip on our shoulders and we say, well, we're the medication experts and we butt up against the doctors and and nurse practitioners. And my thing is like, it's a, the whole premise of my book is like, it's a team sport. I like to take my ego make it really super tiny. I want to give the expertise I have to help the patient. The doctors have way more training and a lot more stuff and spent a lot more years doing, doing things that I'm just not qualified to do, let them do their thing. And I think synergistically we can. You know, when we put the egos aside to put that patient first, we can all use our own special specialties to, to, to get the outcome we want.
0: Yeah, no, very well explained. So this might be a difficult question to answer, but if you could go back to past self, when you were just deciding that this is what you want to do, this is what your career is going to be. What did you think this system was going to be like? What did you, did, 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 did this match up kind of what you're actually doing today or is it vastly different?
1: I wouldn't say it's like vastly different in the mechanics of what I do. The, the system within with, within which I work and the environment within which I work uh, is different. I had this idea that medicine is very black and white. I, pharmacists, like for, even though I'm a comedian and I have that right brain that I've I fostered since I graduated, like going in, I, I picked pharmacy as a 17 year old. Like my teacher asked me what I wanted to do, my chemistry teacher, and I was like, I want to pitch for the Cubs. And she's like, You're not going to do that. So pick something logical. And I like science, so I picked that. And I had this idea that I would go in and we give we give sick person drug A, we get outcome B, and they're happy, you know, C, A to B to C, we get this thing. And the reality is like with, with medicine and pharmacy, there's a lot of gray area, which I was not as prepared for, which is why the improv training I did really helped improve my career in that sense of like getting used to the discomfort of not having that specific, you know, answer every time. So I thought it would be like very black and white. It's not. Um, I thought that I would be making people healthier with the pills I gave them, and that's not always the case. Um, you know, I'm on this podcast, not the give people drugs podcast, right? So, so um, and, I mean, and, and that that's something I figured out pretty quickly in my career. Is like, there's there's a lot of sick people, and what I'm doing is i really making them healthy. We're just keeping them from getting sicker. And so, uh, yeah, I yeah, yeah that that to me, if if I could go back, like I'm happy at the station I'm at in life now. Uh, it's kind of cool being a pharmacy pharmacist in the niche that I've kind of created for myself, but it's not exactly what I had in mind when I, when I thought I would be going and really, you know, quote air quote, making people healthier.
0: Yeah. Very interesting. I, I, I relate a lot to that, the, the, the pitcher part, like I'm holding out for the NHL to call me, but I I want the Pittsburgh Penguins to call me. Like if the Red Wings call me like not interested, I'm waiting for that one call. So I'm sure you have interest as a pitcher, just not for the bear or I'm sorry, not for the uh, Cubs. So you (laughs) got to hold out. Yeah.
1: I you know yeah the Cardinals and White Sox called me and I was like no sorry you know I I will take that I will take that 750,000 minimum and, and and say good day Gotta, right. gotta no. hold your line. Yeah, yeah good
0: for you. <laughs> so, so, we, so we've so we interviewed Travis Christopherson. He wrote the book um, Curable. He's written many books. He, he talks about yeah, you know, ketones as the fourth fuel. Awesome author. And he, in this book Curable, he talks about all of these different procedures and medications that doctors have to keep track of. And it's like over 10,000 combined medications and medical procedures that you can do. How are doctors... expected to kind of keep up on that kind of thing? How do they know they're giving people the right drug for what these people need?
1: Like, I don't know if we do, like, I, it's impossible to keep up with the complexity that, 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 and I I mean, I'm fairly, I'm 10, 11 years in my career. Uh, and like the sad answer is like, it's impossible to keep up with all of it. And then like you have to rely on studies and guidelines that direct you what medicines to do. And I can't speak on procedures because I'm a pharmacist. Again, I don't, I don't like to do those, but like physicians are expected to do procedures, medications. So, I mean, there's, there's Medicaid, there's medical conferences, like the one we were just at in February, that you can go and learn the latest guidelines and procedures. There are the journal articles coming out in the big journals. And then within each disease state, there are usually guidelines that we can follow. Um, and then you have to wonder what the biases in all those studies are. You have to wonder what the biases in all of those journals are. Um, like, I I don't know. Like, I've done my best to keep up with what I do. And I think that that's where a lot of specialization comes in. You know, I, I'm i an ambulatory care pharmacist, but I essentially in my clinic, I manage diabetes and obesity. Like, I've kind of made that clear to my providers that this is what I've done for the last four or five years. It's what I'm most comfortable in. And I feel that I'm going to get the best the best use of my time is focusing on these things, and then we have you know our different specialties in the world of medicine to, to kind of help help out. Does that fragmented care always give the best patient care? Not necessarily, but I always, as I always tell my patients that they ask me something outside my scope or understanding that I really don't know this or I have not been trained in this, and I would rather tell you I don't know than to try to make uh, a guess that could be harmful to you.
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the fact that you've ended up in a very ideal sounding scenario where you actually have time and energy to talk to people about metabolic health and other things besides the medications that wasn't always the case for you. What was it like in in a more kind of traditional pharmacy setting? I know you've worked in several different environments where you Mm -hmm. maybe were a little bit more hands off and, and weren't able to communicate as much as you would want to with your patients.
1: Yeah, so I, in my career like I'm I'm pretty fortunate like even where I'm at now my appointments are are 20 to 40 minutes. So it's not it's it's really hard to turn someone's metabolic health around in 20 minutes. So you do the best like I I'm kind of in that like mix of sometimes I get a little bit more time so I can I can give that deeper explanation. Sometimes it's like we got 20 minutes so I'm going to give the best overview I can to get you on the right path. But and I've worked in jobs where it's literally just I don't talk to patients and I verify prescriptions all day long. So I get zero ability to have that impact on, on that individual patient. And so it's, it's, it's hard. Um, and I think that's kind of what pushed me. And I found the metabolic health world, kind of low carb keto world in 2016. And by 2018, I had switched jobs to be, be more hands-on with patients. And so it's, man, when you know something that you think could help someone and you can't do it, it's really frustrating. Um, I don't have a better answer for that. Like that's that that's it's it's you feel you know there's a lot of uh, this term thrown around in medicine learned helplessness where it's just like yeah I've I've learned that I can't really make the impact I want and that and that can be frustrating and so I'm really fortunate that even though I don't get an hour or two hours with patients which is you know I'd love it's just I have to accept the reality of the 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 environment that I work in the healthcare ecosystem that I'm in that's sort of my improv mindset we accept reality. So here's my reality. It's a lot better than a lot of other pharmacists live in. It's not ideal, but let's take the best I can and, and learn, to, learn to teach a patient about how to improve their health in 20 minutes to 40 minutes, and then see them as, as often as I can to, to improve them.
0: Fantastic. I mean, contrast that with a normal doctor's visit. That's what, five to eight, maybe, maybe 10 minutes. Like At least you've yeah. got a little bit of time and you can build some rapport with people, if nothing else.
1: Yeah, and that's where I find the, the biggest thing is is building trust and relationships with patients. And sometimes that turnaround doesn't come after the first appointment. It takes a few touch points. And that's, at first in my career, that was really frustrating. But I think that's also the reality we need to look at with any habit change is that, and this is what I tell patients, like it takes a lot, of, whether it's quitting smoking, which I help patients with, or, or improving their diet. It takes multiple attempts. It takes multiple perspectives. It takes multiple tries to, to turn around habits. Um, and the, the nice thing. And with what I do is like, I was just told the school, you're like, I do prescribe medicine sometimes when it's appropriate. <laughs> so like, I, if, I can't let someone walk around with a blood sugar of 400, like that's, that's dangerous to them. Um, but I do everything I can. And I, and I'm honest with my patients, like, I want to get you off medicines, but there's going to be some work on your end too. Yeah. So, uh, doing the best we can with what we got is, is, is all I can really do in a, in a world where I don't, Own my own clinic and own my time as much. Yeah.
0: Well, I want to make sure that we revisit that when we talk about your book. But before we do, I want to hear the story. You found keto, low carbohydrate, metabolic health. You know that whole world in 2016. You said we're able to pivot in 2018. That's fantastic. But how (laughs) how how did you find it? What was your story? Like, how did you come across that
1: information? Like everyone else, found it on a podcast, right? So I was I was actually listening to a comedy podcast, and a guy by the name of Vinny Tortorez came on, and he's this guy who's no sugars, no grains. And my wife and I, uh, as I said, she's a nurse practitioner, uh, was a nurse when I first met her. We've always been pretty fit, healthy people, uh, or you know, following the normal kind of like low-fat calorie counting thing. And we weren't obese, so we weren't overweight. We just we we're fine. Uh, but we we're always like looking to challenge ourselves with different challenges. And it comes on talking about no sugar, no grains. And we're like, hmm, this is different than everything we've been taught. But we had this curiosity and willingness to to be to listen because we're like, well what if we're wrong, you know? And so you listen to, I listen to him and he has all, he has all the normal guests on, Tina Teicholz, Jason Fung. I start reading those books and you're like, oh, wow, that's, that's a very different perspective on what I've been taught. And then you're like, well, the, the evidence is pretty good that maybe what we're doing is, is not the best. And so we started kind of, uh, 2016 was, uh, a year we, we, we did like a no sugar month. We're like, oh, that feels pretty good. Like we did it like a vegetarian month too. And then, which I call it my peanut butter and cheese month. I'm like, I didn't lose any weight. I said a bunch of peanut butter and cheese. Like, and I just, So we, we did a no sugar month and we're like, oh, this feels pretty good. And so we, we kind of went into a, I can't say that we eat full-blown keto. I, I don't test ketones, so I couldn't tell you. I have to be honest, but like we, we don't eat bread. We don't, you know, we don't really eat a lot of carbs. Um, I probably get into ketosis when I'm in a, a, a little longer fast, but we found that we felt really good. Um, I'm about the same weight as I was then, so it's not like it was a huge weight issue. But uh, I don't know if you met a lot of pharmacists, but we're a little high strung, we're a little Type A, and like I've chilled out a ton, a ton since I've uh, changed the way I've been eating. And you know, Chris Palmer's book, Brain Energy, might you know, there's a little link there, right? Um, I'm 36, I feel as energetic as I was at 26, and I got two little kids running around. Um, I'm not hungry all the time. I'm not obsessing about food and wondering, you know, snacking eight times a day, which is what I was doing before. So there was some like non-weight benefits that I really found. I was like, oh, this is pretty awesome. And so I, I kind of uh, got another pharmacist or two of mine to read the books and get on board. And you know, we do our best with our, you know. And then 2018, 2019, I get to start doing it with patients as much as I'm, I'm legally allowed to as a pharmacist. Of course, I, I always stay within my scope. But yeah, we feel good, and then we just try to help other people within family, friends, patients. And yeah, and and like I said, you know, we're not, we don't have like a, uh, you know, a neurologic disorder that, that requires us to eat fully ketogenic or, but you know, we just don't eat as much for sugars and grains. Like it's, it's so beautifully simple. And we we haven't really looked back since.
0: Yeah, well, it it is clearly working for you. And I've done this long enough to where I can really reverse engineer it. And I can almost look at somebody and know whether they're at least in the realm of low carb. When you put a thousand people together in that conference room at Low Carb Denver, which you emceed. And by the way, you did an amazing job. It was fantastic. You did great work. Oh. I loved. But, but you oh, look around you. In that room and you see all these people that are like, pretty darn fit and look like they're thriving and have bright skin. And I, I sent one of the videos to one of my clients who's just kind of dabbling in the carnivore world. And she's like, these mm-hmm. people on stage, they look a little different. Their countenance. It's hard to explain, but there's something in their eyes or just in their face. It's just different. It's like, it, it really is. It's cool that she observed that.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the, oh gosh, I, I, want, and I want to make sure I say this without the judgment of the individuals, but you just walk around public and people are, they don't look healthy they don't look energetic they're and then and then just speaking with people all day long people are suffering um and it it makes me oh gosh my skin's crawling right now because it, it i feel like people are being robbed of the life that we're, we're granted uh and it's not like you know people and i tell patients like i know you're going to have cake i know you're going to have pizza it's okay like but we deserve to thrive and i and i see so many people in my clinic in their 20s 30s that are Overweight, have type 2 diabetes, that I'm just, I feel so, so frustrated and angry for them because the, this is, we're meant to be vibrant human beings. And there's so many people missing out on that. And whether it's carnivore, keto, like, and I'm, and I, I'm a diagnostic too. Like when I have a patient that says they're doing vegetarian and they're doing great, I'm like, two thumbs up, awesome, keep it going. Like I, I don't care. Like I don't need to be right. I need you to be healthy. But darn it, if, if, if cutting out some carbs and sugars and grains, And crummy fats doesn't help a lot of people like that seems to help a ton of people. So, and, and, and like you say, yeah, you walk around a conference like that and just people are, are, are so vibrant. It's, it's beautiful to see.
0: Yeah, it really is. I mean, in that conference space, there was lots of other conferences going on and you could just see it like walking by somebody, you knew which conference they were going to is either ours or somebody else's And, and you're right. It's a shame. I was in Costco the other day and it's like, I can identify more people in scooters than I can identify people who I would even guess would be doing like workouts regularly, eating somewhat healthily. It's sad.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's hard to make that change. And I, and I always acknowledge to patients like we live in an environment that is designed to make you obese and we have foods that are designed to make you overeat and overweight. And it's not like, I'd say it's not your fault, but it's it's now our responsibility to work together to, to change your environment, to improve yourself. And I, and I, I emphasize to them. There's, zero shame. I tell them I've not met a bag of chips that I've been able to defeat before. So I have the same, you know, I, I, I was, I was a chunky kid. So I was not, you know, always, um, as athletic looking as I appear now, uh, we're all works in progress and, you know, having a lot of that compassion and empathy for people. Cause I think unfortunately a lot of healthcare interactions are you're fat, lose weight. You're lazy. Cause you're not doing it. It's like, well, you're giving crappy advice. So maybe we should, you know, if, if what we're telling people isn't working, then we got to do something different. And the, the sort of low carb flipping the food pyramid upside down, it's super radical to, to a lot of people, but darn it, if it doesn't really work for a lot of people too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really amazing. I've so much loved my work in this world and it's made my personal training and nutrition coaching so much better when you see real results and they're sustainable. People are no longer hungry and their brain functions better. And like you, they've got energy to chase their kids around. It's really wonderful. But but that that goes to show you how good those engineered foods taste. They're so... Good that people are willing to wreck their health, and so I'm curious. You said it's hard to change. I totally agree. You've got 20 <laughs> minutes with somebody. What are some of the priorities? What what things you're trying to allude to to like hopefully help that person see things a little bit differently and change and turn the corner?
1: Yeah, well, I I keep things really simple. I work in a in a part of town that is a little bit lower income, lower health literacy, so I, I try to keep it very simple, and so. I will give them a one-page uh, handout from a very prominent low-carb website. It's literally one page of foods to avoid and foods to enjoy. Uh, and it's sugars, starches, um, alcohols, and sweeteners. Like, limit these limit these foods. Um, and I, I, the first things I ask are like, do you drink anything with sugar in it? You know, cream, you know sweetened coffee, soda, juices, Gatorades. Okay, like the easiest lever to pull is that like, because you're getting zero nutrition from drinking sugar, all right? Let's stop that. Okay, can you do that? great. Can I drink diet soda? I will maybe anger some people. Like I think diet artificial sweeteners can be a really good tool for someone. If you're drinking two liters of regular soda a day and you switch to two and your sugars are 400 and I can switch you to two liters of diet soda a day, like you are getting towards the path of like better. And I tell patients, I don't need you to be a perfect eater, just a less crummy eater. That's all I'm asking. So we start with like the beverages, then we go to sweets, then we go to like snacks and chips and things like that. And then we go to again the starches, the grains, and depending on the person, some people are are super motivated and they get it. Like you can see, see people get it. And so right away, it's like, all right, let's go all in. Let's 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 rip the bandaid off and change everything. Some people are very clingy to stuff. They're like, well, I really like potatoes. I'm like, okay. So you're gonna have potatoes with dinner. Don't have them with lunch and breakfast. Like, let's, And that, for some, it's like, let's tweak one meal at a time. Let's let's kind of inch towards some a, a better place. And I tell them. You know, limit the sugar, starches, grains. Consume enough protein so that'll keep you full. And then I give them a simple. For some, I give a simple half-page handout to some links on, on on simple exercise and tell them to move more. Like that's that's. If I get 20 minutes, that's what I get. If I get 40 minutes, sometimes we can go a little bit more in depth. Um, and then I just blow people's minds with like, what about whole grain bread? I'm like, your your A1C is 12. It doesn't matter at this point. I want you I want you off of that for now does it say no bread ever again? Of course not. But we've, you know, if you want to reverse this and I th- the other thing I say is you can reverse this. Diabetes is reversible. Has anyone ever told you that? Um, and then I go through the medicines they're on. If there's anything that's going to cause weight gain, like insulin or a class of medicines called TZDs. Like we try to back off those if if appropriate. So that's, I, that was almost 20 minutes. I'm sorry. I was a, a terrible example of, of sorting things up. I, those are great
0: tips. I really appreciate that. And, and yeah, you've got a limited amount of time, but, but to be able to show somebody that clearly what they're doing is not working, they're getting the wrong advice. You're right. It's not their fault, but now is their responsibility. And just the idea of deprescribing, like in any of your training, did any one time anybody talk about the, the science and art of deprescribing prescribing medications for people?
1: It was never an issue because it never happened. We were taught it was a progressive disease. Type 2 was a progressive disease. And so there's been some really great papers. Dr. Mark Pukazella, and there's a pharmacist, uh, Diana Isaacs, if I'm getting her name wrong, I apologize, have a really great paper on deprescription of medications in a low-carb approach. So that's been a really great guide for me. Um, the other part, you know, I, and I tell patients, like, I'm a pharmacist. My goal is to deprescribe. and they You know, 90% of patients are like, great, I hate taking medicines. And there's like 10% that or like, there's like 8% that are like, I don't care. i want to eat what I want to eat. And I'm like, okay, great. I will meet you where you're at. And, and that'll be your, your lot. And there's like the two, the 2% of who've seen commercials for Ozempic and just want the GLP one agonist class of medicines. And then there's a discussion of if it's appropriate, if it will be covered by insurance, like all of these things. And I, I, I feel very torn in two worlds because like, I'm a pharmacist and people might assume like, oh, you just want to push the drugs. I'm like, I get $0 from drug companies. I get invited. I will make this statement on your podcast. I've been invited to multiple drug dinners where they'll feed you and give you a a presentation on their drug. I've I've declined every one of them. I do not go to any drug dinners because I don't want to be unduly influenced. But when a patient is, appropriately needing a medicine i will use it so um then we'll we'll the the medicines ironically are the last thing we talk about in an appointment with me usually that's fantastic especially for weight loss yeah so
0: if i walk around your house i'm not going to see an ozempic mouse pad or something (laughs) no bunch of pens they
1: they will not you will not see the drug paraphernalia in my house that's great wow and and i'm not saying this to sound like i'm holier than thou i just want to like i i don't feel comfortable taking those things when i know like oh that drug dinner cost the company five thousand dollars. Well how many how many pens could you have given a patient for free for the mufu we ate? Yeah. Like, cause I've seen so many people struggling with the cost that could really, you know, something, so some people can use a little bit of a help with, with medicine and that's when it's appropriate. And then when they can't afford it, it makes me frustrated that we're spending all that money on drug dinners, but that's their model and that's fine.
0: Yeah. Well, good for you for staying away from that. I think that's a really yeah. wise thing to do. And, and yeah, missing out on a few steak dinners, but not to have any of those conflicts, I think is fantastic. You are giving yeah. me great segues in this conversation. You just mentioned Dr. Mark Kukazela, probably huh. the best human ever. Maybe like he's. Uh, fantastic! You wrote the book "Permission to Care," and what an what an amazing example that guy is of g- permission to care. Like, like, I, I'm I'll be surprised if his picture is not on the cover of your book or something. Like, talk about a guy who will who will work so much harder. He'll work late. He'll work through lunch. He will make sure that his patients get exactly what they need, all the coaching they need. And, and it's amazing. It's so cool to hear stories like that and stories like yours and how you, you, even in this conversation, I'm talking about compassion and empathy. Tell me about the genesis of your book. We can start as early in the process as you like. Why did this book need to be written?
1: Well, I think that a lot of us are, are silently screaming to ourselves in healthcare. Like gave me the tools to, to help my patients. And so I the genesis of this book was I, I started my career in 2011, graduated pharmacy school, did a residency, really started practicing in 2012. And I super struggled with the unknown that would pop up in, in, in interactions, whether it's with patients or providers. I'm a, I was a type A pharmacist. I had this idea, I would go to pharmacy school, learn this information, and I would be just like, they'd ask me a thing and I would answer the thing and it would be really straightforward and easy. And it was not that it was patients asking crazy stuff that was off the walls. And I, I just was like questioning myself, like, what am I doing? Am I, am I an idiot? And I started in 2012, I took my first improv class. Uh, Improv comedy is a form of comedy where everything is made up. And so took a class, took another class, long story short, ended up teaching, coaching, performing here in Tucson while my wife was in grad school joke, I got my improv master's degree while she got her master's degree as a nurse practitioner. And along the way, in addition to having a ton of fun and making people laugh on stage, I just developed these muscles of adaptability and resilience and empathy and teamwork that that improv forced you to do that really helped me get comfortable with patients. And I I just got to a place where when a patient was talking to me, it wasn't like, oh no, what are they going to say? It was like, okay, it's a game. We're just playing a game right now and I will respond in a moment and listen. And so... I think there's a huge problem in healthcare. We, we've we've said some of these buzzwords earlier, like empathy, listening, compassion. And improv taught me all these things. And I think as a provider, I you know dealing with leadership that is not willing to listen to you, uh, willing to to meet you where you are, willing to have a good like group goal. Like improv is a team sport. Healthcare should be a team sport. It sure doesn't feel like it all the time. Um, and then as a, as a patient going through the healthcare system, like for each, who, how many of us in the low-carb world are here because no one listened to us? None of our doctors listened to us. No one was willing to listen to what we had to say. And so I think you know, it actually relates really well to, to the, the metabolic low-carb world because we want permission to care for our patients in a way that's not the standard of care. And no one's even willing to listen to us to say yes to this idea that maybe this way of, of eating could help a lot of people. And so, bet- between all that, I realized like there's there's a world of people that could use this book from the frontline practitioner, kind of taking like the nuts and bolts tools I give, to the person that is the healthcare administrator trying to build the culture from the top down. And so, March of twenty twenty, like March twenty, like two thousand twenty, I was going to go out and speak more. Obviously, the pandemic said you know shut down all the events. So I was locked in my house for three months before my second kid was born. It's like I'm going to write this book. And so I sat down and I just pounded it out in three months. And uh, found a publisher the next year, and got it out in 2022. And just just trying to do my little part to take this weird niche in improv, uh, this this hobby and niche of improv, and relate it, make it relatable to to the world of healthcare to improve our our system in my own little way. Wow.
0: Well, it's tremendous. I I love what you did. I love that you took such a a terrible time and made it into an opportunity. A good friend of mine is a public speaker, and he, Mm -hmm. early on in the pandemic, had this post of a whiteboard that was completely white. And at the top said 2020 gigs, gone, clean, nothing. And it was like half funny and half not funny at all that he had to post like, this, this is my schedule. I don't know how I'm going to feed my family this year. Like I had all these eggs lined up. Now I've got nothing. And he was able to cleverly reinvent himself and do more virtual speaking. And he became Mm -hmm. not only, not only did he survive, but he, he thrived during the pandemic because he found a way to get in with big organizations who needed ways to connect their, their companies in in different ways. So talk a little bit about that, that, that experience for you, I guess, of taking something that, that really (laughs) most of us didn't ask for and using it to your advantage.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's a it it incorporates a couple of improv tenets. Uh the first is that there are no mistakes, there's only gifts. So on an improv stage, there aren't there's no script, right? You're not going to an improv show, see someone say something and be like, no, they're not supposed to say that. Like it's not like a Shakespeare play where you know the script by heart. So when I'm on a stage, everything that's said to me is sacred. It's a gift. I can use that as fuel to the comedic fire. And when we were talking we talking about the pandemic, like okay, like we didn't ask for this pandemic to happen. Your friend, my goodness, that's amazing that they were able to pivot, but they use this thing that might be perceived as bad and they turned it into a huge gift. It forced them to evolve, it forced them to get better. And it's, I mean, the term mindset is thrown around a lot, but I think in healthcare, we can choose to say, I have this patient that's a challenge in front of me, or we could say, I get to help, I get to grow in my ability to communicate a, a challenging situation to a patient. Uh, and the the other thing that we say in improv is, so if you if you're listening and you're like, Corey, I don't really care about improv. All you have to do is remember two words and you'll have learned most of improv and it's yes and. These two words mean on a stage, we agree and we build together. We say yes to what's said to us and we build together. Part of that means we accept reality. So in healthcare, I'll think a lot of our angst comes from like wishing things were different. Like we we work in a metabolic world where we wish things were different. Well, they aren't. So what is now and what can we do to build upon what we already have done? Um, on an improv stage, like a, a lot of our default answers in our are no. Uh, I, I was forced to say yes when I started doing my classes. And it was like this beautiful lifting weight off me. Two and a half hours a week, I got to go where we got to say yes. So we we accept reality. We see whatever happens to us as a gift. It's not always easy to do that. Like don't, it, it takes a lot of muscle building to be like, okay, I'm happy that this person that I'm performing with, um, th- their mic was hot and the, the tech person was talking over our scene. Well, now we just use that as a a third person in the scene that they don't even realize that they're in, right? We turn it into something fun and funny versus like fighting against it. And I think a lot of our our problems come from where we like fight against what is. Now we don't we don't have to like say like we we're happy with the way healthcare is. And we don't we can accept that this is what is, and we can then take steps forward to make it better.
0: Very well explained. So the opposite of yes and would be yes but. Can you explain that to us?
1: Yeah. So this is this is the classic switch. So uh, I, you know, if, if you are told straight up, no, like you, you've negated reality. Um, yes. But is this like sneaky thing where it's like, yeah, I'd love to give you uh, the ability to tell work, but you can't do it. Right. It's the, you like, it's like, okay, yes, but no. So you're really saying no to me. So it, it's this yes. And in disguise. Um, and And yes. And so I'll, I get a lot of pushback when I speak to pharmacy organizations, like, well, Corey, if you're saying yes to people, so what if someone asks you for a million Percocet? Are you just gonna say yes? I'm like, yes, and here's my license because you're gonna, I'm gonna lose it, right? I'm gonna give you all my Percocet. So, yes, and doesn't always have to be a literal yes. It can be saying yes to listening. Uh, and I think I gave the example in my book of like, I'd wanted to telework for a long time, and my boss was not, they couldn't do it. And they would say, yes, Corey, I know you wanna telework, and right now is not the good time. And I want to listen to you. And when the time is right, we'll make it happen. And then COVID happened. It's like, you have to tell work. I'm like, oh, I could have done this the whole time. You had the technology the whole time. So um, yeah, it it can make you feel unheard. And I think that's a big thing that in applying improv to healthcare is is making those that we care for and care with feel seen, heard, and understood. And when we say yes, yes, and to people, we are making sure that we're helping them feel seen, heard, and understood.
0: Yeah, I love that. What are some of the other major concepts of the book that you want people to walk away
1: with? Um, I think that uh, a few more of them, uh, I think we touched on like this team approach. So healthcare is a team sport improv is a team sport. And a lot of times the the silos of healthcare kind of break off and uh, dig into their own turf. And when we do that, when we either dig into our own turf, whether it's, you know, pharmacists wanting the glory for, or, you know, wanting to take care of the patient or the surgeons want to do what the cardiologists the people that suffer are the patients, right? So we want to make sure that we are looking at it from a team approach. Um, and I really like the the idea that I have an um, improv of group mind, like having a clear goal. And I think that as a, from an organizational level, from a leader level, we often don't have a clear goal and actions that support that clear goal. You know, they'll say we care about patients, and then we do we we have policies that are all about making money. Well, just be honest. You know, one of the other chapters is honesty, not just for politicians. I think. If we could just be honest, I wish our leaders of healthcare would be honest and say this organization is a business to make money by taking care of people in healthcare, instead of saying we care about patients and we're going to cut all your tech hours. Like, okay, you care about making money, and we're not going to get the support to the pharmacists that we need. Be honest, we're here to make money. All right, I know that I know the I know the rules of the game now, and you can be honest with me. So, um, and I think that's also from an individual practitioner being honest with patients. When when patients ask me, "Am I going to have a side effect from this drug?" I'll say, "You might." Everyone's different. Um, is the side effect from this drug? Typically no, but I can't rule it out. Um, am I going to get better? It depends. Uh, I think that we speak in, in absolutes a lot too much in healthcare instead of sort of being the, having that humility and honesty to say, I don't know. And and when I tell patients, I don't know you, are, I would be amazed how many of them are like, thank you for being honest with me. Uh, they just appreciate that. Um, cause They've been lied to a lot. Yeah, I guess. you
0: hear that with people who had like a procedure done incorrectly, like somebody operated on the wrong ankle or something, and like, mm-hmm. like they threatened to sue. And it's so much less percentage likelihood that they threaten to sue if the doctor comes back to them and says, "Look, I really goofed that up. I'm very sorry." People understand that.
1: Yeah, I think. St- yeah, you're right. I think statistically, the amount of uh, malpractice is lowered when you just are honest with with the screw up.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. So you also talk about you're talking about teamwork and leadership. You talk about a practice. I want to say that they were actually physically putting their hands on everybody else's back and saying together in a morning meeting, like, I've got your back. That was literally happening.
1: Well, that's what we do on the improv stage. So one of the one of the aspects of teamwork, like when you're going on stage to make strangers laugh, it can be a little bit nerve-wracking if you can believe it, right? And so to kind of make sure that we all feel like we're part of a team. Uh, our improv, whatever group we're on, before we're, we're behind the stage, before we go on stage, we will literally tap each other on the back and say, "I got your back," and like you would be amazed, like the comfort, the relaxation that comes from knowing that you are going to go on that stage, not knowing what's going to be said because it's improvised, trying to make strangers laugh, knowing that others have your back. And I don't—I've I, given this talk uh, to a large pharmacy organization, and I and I asked the question to the audience. How many of you work for an organization that you feel like has your back? And I got one hand that went up. Like, it was so sad because they really don't feel like they're supported. And so that is that is something that I will do sort of on an individual basis with the people I work with. Like when they ask me to do something or they, they've they asked me something that's a little bit challenging with a patient and they say, thank you. I'm like, I got your back. Don't worry. Like, I, I, will, I will verbalize it. I, I don't want to assume people are okay with me touching them. Uh, I'm not a very touchy person. So I'm just like, you know. Got to have that trust too. That's another one of the tenets of the book, like developing that trust and rapport with the people you work with and work for. But like, I will say I have your back. And I've been told like people like hearing that. And when you back it up with your actions, that's the important part too. But having each other's backs in healthcare and then having your patients back, um, being there for them. You talk about Dr. Giselle, just a great example of someone who's got his patients back. Yeah.
0: Well. Okay. So this message is wonderful. It's amazing. It applies to everything. It doesn't just apply to healthcare. I would argue it applies to all of our relationships, day to day conversations. A lot of the skills in improv do as well. I want to talk about that in a little bit. But, but 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 here we are. You're presenting this message, which is wonderful. Yet we live in this world where the system is this system. The pandemic mm-hmm. didn't help the medical system at all. More people retired are way burned out, overworked, and they they that the reality is they, they most doctors can only see people for a few minutes. And so mm-hmm. it's it's tough. Like I want to say, like, yes, I'm I'm into all of this. Let's do all of this, but practically h- how is it done? How how can this happen and how can we affect change in, in, in any scale that would make a difference?
1: That's a hard question. If I if I had the answer to that, you know, I I would be I would not be in this little house behind me, right? <laughs> um I think that for me it's Starting, you know, one person at a time, one provider at a time with little changes. Uh, And that's why I go speak to organizations. And much like the message I give to my patients on metabolic health, it's the message that I give to to people trying to implement this. It could be be as simple as yes and, live in the moment, have each other's backs, show some empathy. Um, And these little changes that I've I've had people read the book um, who say, I went home and I did maybe it was with a patient or even with their family. Like I tried to yes get and, and it like worked and they were happier. Like it, it I think the things that fresh things thing that fresh me tr- frustrates me, excuse me, is that a lot of these problems are, can be as simple as poor communication, not having each other's backs, <clears throat> not listening. And it's so simple. We just assume that it would be fine and, and not need fixing. And so from a, like a widespread w- mode of doing this, like for the physician who has seven minutes, if you could be 25% better at connecting with your patient quickly, within that seven minutes, you're going to be more effective. And then maybe you don't have to see them again in three months. You can see them again in six months because you've prevented a problem. Or you've communicated something so well that you have avoided a medication error from a patient taking something incorrectly. Um, I I empathize. Like Seven minutes, the primary care physicians have the hardest job in healthcare, I think. And I can't change the seven-minute rule or the eight-minute rule. I'm not the ones who lead those organizations, although trying to get this book in the hands of those leaders would be pretty helpful. But if I can take your crummy situation and make you a little bit more effective within that crummy situation, multiply that by the thousands of patients that each person sees, then I think we can see that change uh, affect, you know, kind of compound over time.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. I I love that you're doing it. I I realize that I I really want to see systematic change. And that's just not realistic. That's not going to happen. The the change Mm -hmm. is going to happen on an individual level. And so for you to be able to share that message with individuals, or like you mentioned earlier, entire systems, I, I think is great. And you're right, like just simple skills of listening or telling a joke, getting to know somebody asking about their kids, like simple things like that can really go a long way to help all healthcare professionals.
1: Right. Well, for something as simple, like wh- one thing we do on an improv scene is we get out the who, what, and where. Like the best scenes happen when we know what's going on. So like I will tell like if a patient, like if a if a provider is able to tell a patient, hey, Mr. Smith, it's great to see you. Hey, you. I just want to say we don't have a ton of time. So I want to hear what is the biggest problem you have going on right now so that I can make sure I take care of your biggest concern. Like get out ahead, be assertive and, and ex- like let them know the reality. Like we don't have an hour and a half. I wish I did. Uh, and then there's some patients that are just so far off the rails that you end up with an hour anyway. But if you're able to focus and do that with like empathy and support and be like, oh my gosh, I love hearing about your grandkids. I want to make sure we take care of your issues so that we can talk about your grandkids at the end of the appointments. Because I love hearing about how great they're doing playing softball or whatever it is, right? We're, we're acknowledging the reality that they care about their grandkids and your reality that like you got you have 17 boxes to check to take care of their health. So you're, you're hearing them, you're making them feel heard. Oh, your grandkids. Great. Hey, can we talk about it at the end? Cause I want to make sure we take care of all these things that, you know, you're concerned about with your health. Like something as simple as flipping that little interaction instead of being like, shut up to like, that's really cool. I want to hear more about that once we take care of your health so that you can be there for those grandkids.
0: That's fantastic. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to that honesty, like patients appreciate the honesty with them. Yeah. So
0: no, yeah. that, that's great. As the book has gotten out there, number one on Amazon, by the way, is it released? That's amazing. As the book got it, out it, there, you must've had to have, you must've been so proud by the way. That's so cool that that happened. And I could just see your smile. I like got that light up. It's so cool.
1: Well, you know, I, it's so weird. Like I start, like I, it came out about two hours at two hours, two years after I had started writing it. And so it was, it was kind of surreal and weird. Like it was like one day I'm not an author and the next day I'm a published author on Amazon. It was, it was really cool. And I had a wonderful publisher, great editors, and uh, it's like it's kind of weird. Like to have this book out there, and people have read it, and to, to hear strangers give me feedback. That's the that's like the cool part. Although the the best feedback I got was from my mother. She's like, "Hey, Corey, this was actually pretty good," and I was like, "Wow, what a backhanded compliment!" <laughs> it was Thanks, actually mom. Pretty good. Thank you, mom. Thanks, mom. Uh, so. If I can impress her, I think anyone
0: will, will enjoy it. Fantastic. <laughs> Good feedback. That's, I love my mother. That's, that's uh, fantastic. Yeah. No, that's, that's wonderful. And I purposely added pharmacist and author to your introduction. You need to update your bio and put that in there. Cause you should be very proud of that. I, I know I would feel a little bit weird about sharing that around and you know, I, 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 Try not to like be braggadocious, and I know you're kind of the same way. But it's super cool to say, and and it's probably like like with our business. Like we started our business in July of 2020, and it was cool Mm -hmm. to come up with the logo. It was cool to come up with the name, but it wasn't until getting like these stickers that was something you could tangibly hold in your hand. That was like, wow, this is a thing. So like to get the book and hold it must have been phenomenal.
1: It was cool, and I have to give credit to my to my publisher to come up with such a great title and great cover. And it was yeah, it was. I don't know. I think that there's a little bit of I'm like imposter syndrome. I think it's uh, like my who I am was like wrapped up as like I'm a pharmacist, and now I'm an author. And so like when I introduce myself to people now, they're like, "What do you do?" I'm like, "I'm a pharmacist and a comedian and an author." And like they're like, "Oh, that's that's weird. Tell me more about that that author. You know, like, you wrote a book." I'm like, "Yeah." They're like, "Where can I get it?" I'm like, a "Little bookstore called Amazon." They're like, "Amazon." I'm like. Yeah. It's not just like, you know, a free PDF on my website. It's, it's a legitimate book. So uh, like owning that, uh, that, uh, that identity as an author has been, you know, I've spent out a year and I'm still trying to, to get that transition. I'm, I'm almost done with my second book. So now I'll, I'll, I can say, if, I'll, hopefully by the end of this year, I'll, I can be, I can say two-time author. Amazing. So, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. So besides your mom, thanks mom. Uh, any other great <laughs> feedback that you've heard, like any cool stories that have come back to you?
1: Yeah. I, like I said, I had a coworker that got the book and she read it and was like, oh man, I immediately went home and started doing this with my, you know, the yes and thing with my family. And it was like magic with them. They, they were, they were like, I we just had a, like, they had a much richer interaction with, with their family. And I've had a few, uh, healthcare professionals, uh, reach out to me and, uh, app- appreciated the lessons and, and how they were able to apply with their patients and asked me to kind of talk to their groups. So, um, that's that like, I don't know. It feels weird. Like you say, I don't want to be braggadocious, but I enjoy hearing that it's made an impact. Like, why do you write a book? Like, why do you spend hours and lots of money to just be honest? Like, it's a lot of money to publish a book to you want to help people. Like, we get into, I got into healthcare to help people. And so, whether it's through pharmacy or through this book that I wrote, uh, it's a thrill to be able to to know that I'm making a positive impact on others. That's fantastic.
0: Yeah, no, I think about our podcast. Like we are getting, you know, tens of thousands of downloads a month, which is great. And I try to say like, oh, I'm not really into the downloads, but it's like, I'm not making, I don't want to make this for two people. I want to make this for as many people yeah. as you want to hear it. You want to get it out there. So to have it grow and, and become what it is and hopefully more stories come in, I, I think it's wonderful. I think it's a wonderful message and you do a very good job of genuinely kind of sharing that. We're going to get into the last little bit of the podcast We're going to ask you some selfish questions. Okay. Listening to. You begin to talk about improv. I'm thinking in my head like, no chance. This is ridiculous. I would never do that. That would be horrible. And then, as you're you're talking about improv, I'm realizing we're all improving all the time. It's what we do. It's what I do with my clients. It's every conversation. It's what I'm doing right now. It's all improv. And as you're mm-hmm. describing some of the kind of principles that help you with improv, I'm hearing all kinds of different concepts that would again help anybody in any part of their life. There's parts of stoicism that's like the dichotomy of control, things you control. Mm-hmm things you can't. So for the average listener, like myself, who will never stand on stage to tell jokes and get booed off rapidly, let me tell you, um, what what are some things you would like the normal person to know about improv and principles that they can take into their lives that can make them a better communicator?
1: Great. Well, first off, a couple of things. One, I love that you connected to the stoicism. I, I read stoicism too. And I, I started realizing, oh my gosh, there's so many parallels between what I do, with this, this acceptance, and then re- your reaction, right? It's all acceptance and reaction. So I uh, got a little chills there. I love I love the connection. I, I work a little stoicism in some of the talks I do. But for the, for the average person, here's what I'll say. is People say, I, t- I say to improv, and they say, I can never do that because I'm not funny. And I tell them, I am living proof. You do not need to be funny to be a successful improviser. Because <laughs> the, the, the truth is, improv really is, if you are an intelligent person that can hold a conversation, you can be a successful improviser. Because we teach... A number of different like it, it sounds like it's improv it's all made up there are actually a lot of rules to improv that if you follow kind of a step-by-step way of doing it and, and live in the moment you can be successful so for the average person listening i would say one take an improv class everyone should take an improv class and i love that you that you are relating a lot of these these things from the book to a universal approach because it's written for healthcare but i've had a lot of non-healthcare people read it and are like i could use this as a teacher or it, my job as an accountant i'm like yeah you can, we, we could all use it. So one, take an improv class. If you don't do that, that's fine. I don't blame you. Uh, it, it's scary and it's the well, way you should do it, but anyway. Um, so if if you could take a few things away from, from, from the general principles, this idea of yes and. So a lot of our default in the world is no. Uh, and I get that and no can be really depressing and sad. So be willing to say yes to more things. Uh, yes and will open up your life to new opportunities. Uh, I would never would have believed I would have written a book been on stage at Low Carb Denver in front of 1,000 people, like it all because I said yes and to an improv class in 2012. So you never know what that yes will take you and where it will take you. Uh, two, listen in a moment. So I don't know who, if you ever been to a doctor where you have a problem and you can tell they've already come up with an answer, or maybe you have a spouse or a significant other that they come to you with a problem and you're already thinking of the answer and they get angry at you because you're not listening to them. So so many people, like when they start improv, they're they're trying to think their way through like a funny joke or a funny scene. The reality is everything you need in life is in front of you as it is spoken. If you could listen, be in the moment and respond Mm. like that is the the magic of life. The magic of taking care of patients is they will tell you everything you need to know if you live in the moment with them. And it's hard, especially for healthcare professionals, because you're really smart and you try to think your way out of stuff. Um, We're going to use our big old brains like you got to use your big old ears. Um, So, yes, and listen to the moment. And, uh, I think, you know, show, show that, show that empathy, uh, put yourself in the other people's shoes, find the why of the person in front of you. That's the other big thing that relates from an improv stage to healthcare is if I can figure out why a patient's upset or why they want to come to me to to improve their sugar or quit smoking, then I can identify like what I need to do to tell them to help them along their path. When I'm on an improv stage, there's no possible way that I could have memorized everything about my character in that moment. But if I figure out what my why is, like, if I just want you to notice my haircut, everything I see or do is going just, just going to be filtered through my why. Like everything, everything I respond with is going to be to like, get you to notice my new haircut. So figure out the why, yes, and, then listen in the moment. Love three that. things. Keep it simple. Amazing, there.
0: amazing tips. And it occurs to me that being present has, is so much in my opinion, related to how we treat our bodies metabolically. When you change your diet, were you getting better actively at, at being able to be present in the moment?
1: I think so. Like it's you know i I think back to just ten years ago, seven, eight years ago and and now, and I just feel much more mentally alert, much more mentally relaxed. So when you're relaxed, it's you know, I play baseball, so you're kind of get in that like relaxed position to react whatever wherever that ball goes. Well, that happens on an improv stage that happens with our patients. and if your your mind is if your brain's inflamed and and your blood sugars are fluctuating, like you don't want to be in the moment. A lot of people are using the food to escape from their moment. So if you are able to eat better, improve your metabolic health, like enjoy living in the moment, then you are going to be more effective in that moment. I love that,
0: man. This has been such a fun conversation. We've covered a lot of ground. Is there anything else you want to leave us with today?
1: I, you know, boy, you you have you are. I don't think I've been on a podcast where the host has done as much homework as you. I really <laughs> appreciate uh, the ground we've covered. No, I think the big things for for folks listening, you've heard the lessons. Uh, if you can believe it, there are some pharmacists out there that they're not all about medicines. Uh, I think uh, if you want to go get my book, Permission to Care, Building a Healthcare Culture That Thrives in Chaos, your, your thousands of downloads a month would really help the sales. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, you know, writing a book, the hard part is asking people to give up their time and their money, right? It's one thing to give me 15, 20 bucks, but now I'm going to ask you to, to spend four or hour, five hours of your life reading my book. Uh, I, that's just, it, it makes me really self conscious. And it's also super, super gratifying that you, anyone would be willing to do that. So I hope to the listeners, I hope you've uh, enjoyed it. And if you go read the book and you love it, leave a review, send me a message. I'm not my websites, Corey You can find me from there, find me on all the socials, but this has been a blast. Uh, I got to talk about all my favorite things. So, uh, <laughs> Uh, no complaints here. This was great.
0: Well, this was a really great time. I've really enjoyed learning from you in, in so many different ways, but that they're all related. Again, they're all things that we can take mm-hmm. into our daily lives and apply them and see benefit. And again, have stronger relationships, have have better friendships, have, have a better way to show up and, and care for the people around us. And so I love your message and w- how you're bringing that to the world. One more time, will you share with people where they can go to find you and connect with you and your work?
1: Of course, yeah. If you go to coryjinks.com and it's C O R Y, my parents didn't buy a vowel, so there's no E in Corey. Cory. C O R Y. It's coryjinks.com. Um, from there, you can link to my Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I love connecting on LinkedIn to other professionals, or everyone's a professional on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I post pretty regularly on social media, but uh, send me. A, you can send me a message on any of the, the the socials, or through my website, you can email me. If you're a part of an organization that thinks, oh man, Cory would be great to come talk to my group. You send me an email or message. There's a million ways to get a hold of me, and not really a million. There's like five, which seems like, that's plenty. Millions of <laughs> exaggeration. See, yeah, I'm being honest right there. there you so go. um and yeah, if you if you can't tell from this conversation, it, th- these are the things that light me up: metabolic health, improving our healthcare system, making healthcare like a little bit enjoyable. Like between the interactions I I used for my improv experience and and the reversal of metabolic disease, like that's what makes health makes healthcare fun is improving people's health. So. Uh, Nothing more fun than this.
0: That's amazing. Well, if you do own an organization and you set up uh, conferences, talks, whatever, I I second what Corey said, please consider hiring him. He did a wonderful job. You You were very educational. You were very funny. You got to the point, you introduced all the people very well. I just, I really appreciated what you did for that conference. You really enhanced the experience and it's been an absolute riot to talk to you today. So thank you so very much for taking time out of your busy life to enlighten us with your life passions. And thank you so much for being on our show. We really appreciate you. My pleasure. And this has been another episode of Balanced Body Radio. Thank you, as always, so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. We really have such a passion for this work and for sharing our message. I've always said this, and I still believe it, that if I were to win the lottery today, that I would still show up for all of my clients and continue this work starting at 6 a.m. next Monday. It's just really a joy to be able to work with people and share our message and to be able to share this message with people all over the world, be able to interview all kinds of different doctors and researchers or just everyday people to share their stories and literally inspire hundreds of thousands of listeners to our show. Last year we decided to start our Patreon page to be able to share premium content for a subscription fee, which included private coaching, early releases of our podcast, which was unedited, and also my special project of making the Boundless Body Radio premium podcast, which is basically the highlights of all of the hundreds of episodes that we have done, all condensed down into a masterclass of a particular topic, including different macronutrients and also ketogenic diets. The subscription model uh, really wasn't exactly a smash success to say the least, but I did put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into those episodes. And really just not that comfortable with them sitting around behind a paywall when they could be out helping people. So we have decided to terminate our Patreon page. I will be releasing all of the content that we created for the boundless body radio premium podcast on our normal show Boundless body radio for free. So be on the lookout for that in the coming months and be sure to leave any feedback that you might have. If you enjoy them, we'd really love to hear from you. They were really fun to make, and I really enjoyed reviewing all of our content to create them. But like I said, if they're not out there helping people, I'm just not really okay with that. And I really want them to get out and help. So, remember that you can always book a free complimentary 30 minute session with us on our website at myboundlessbody.com. We've really enjoyed connecting with people all over the world to discuss all things health and fitness. And so, feel free to do that and take advantage of that. And as always, thank you again so much for listening to Boundless Body Radio.